Hello and welcome to the Purdue AgEcon podcast, the podcast for experts and innovators in agriculture. I'm Dane Erickson. On today's show, Dr. Foster and I talk with Dr. Nicole Widmar about the ways self-reported data can be biased, particularly through social desirability bias. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. My name is Ken Foster. I'm a professor of agricultural economics at Purdue University and your host for the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. And with me is my co-host, Senior in Agricultural Economics at Purdue, Dane Erickson. Dane, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you, Dr. Foster? I'm doing fantastic. I'll bet that um, a senior who is about to graduate in a little over a month is getting a little antsy. Is that the case? Well, not necessarily. I'm, I'm really trying to make the most of this last semester. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Um, one of my professors this week uh, reminded us that it is this, the week that was supposed to be spring break, uh, referring to it as the spring break week that wasn't. But, you know, we're past the halfway mark. And, um, yeah, things are going well this semester. That doesn't sound like a very helpful thing for a professor to remind you of during a semester with no spring break. But, hey, you know, hopefully they were able to turn that somehow positive and get your attention. Um, well, uh, do you have plans for after graduation in May? Yes, I will be attending uh, graduate school somewhere. I've yet to make my final decision, but getting really close. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for that opportunity. Hey, that's fantastic. And, you know, we'll, we'll circle back on this for our listeners so that uh, once that final decision is made, we can let everybody know um, where to look for you down the road. So today we have uh, a little bit of a focus on some exciting research that's going on in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Um, and um, it, it's really intriguing. Um, you know, we have this tendency as people to, um, to say a lot of stuff, um, but not necessarily actually do it. And, uh, you know, I have this, I have this, uh, this dilemma all the time when I go to the doctor and, you know, she asks, uh, you know, how are you feeling? And, um, you know, how's your salt intake? And, you know, of course I'm like, Oh, well, I, um, I rarely eat salt. Um, you know, as, and knowing that on my way home, I'm going to stop and buy a bag of chips. Um, and so we have with us uh, Professor Nicole Widmar in the Department of Agricultural Economics, who's doing some intriguing research in this area. Nicole, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have to comment. I, I told Dane here a little bit ago, I made a mistake in my class. And on Tuesday, I said, oh, it would have been spring break. But I told him, if you could eat your own words, uh, it would have been right there. Only halfway through the sentence, I knew that wasn't the right thing. And then... <laughs> 50 people's faces got sad and I don't know that I recovered. So, you know, it's okay. Today's going better. Well, it's the truth. It would have been spring break. Um, and, uh, you know, but uh, the good thing is I think we get out a little bit earlier in May this year. So they'll get that time back and maybe they just need to be reminded of that, right? That the semester's almost over. So um, Nicole, maybe kick us off a little bit and help us understand more about this phenomenon where, you know, people say something and do something else and why that matters um, 
uh, and what you're doing to better understand it. Sure, yeah. So we've been uh, concerned about self-reported data quality for a lot of reasons for a long time now, right? And most fields are concerned about the validity of self-reported data. But when we think about it, um, at least in, in our research here, we're worried about people telling you the truth in the sense that if I ask you about how you feel about a production system in livestock, for example, or how healthy are you going to behave during the holiday season, is what you tell me the truth, but we don't mean it in a are you lying sort of way. Uh, that could be an option, but we're also concerned about biases in reporting, right? So subconscious kind of drives for you to say something in one direction or the other. And the one that we've been focused on quite intently for some time now is in social desirability bias. Uh, so that's really where we've been focused, uh, thinking about data quality, self-reported data about behaviors as it relates to, relates to health and food. Yeah, this seems really important on a lot of fronts. I mean, for a researcher to really get at the root cause of something, um, they, they need people to tell them the truth. Um, and for my doctor to get at the root cause of my problems, she probably needs to know that I'm eating too much salt. Um, and uh, so, so you mentioned this idea of um, people's consumptive behaviors, and, and this actually is the genesis of this podcast, is I saw this very intriguing news release out of the Purdue News Service, and we'll make sure and post that um, somewhere so that our listeners have access to it. Um, but you were examining with a former graduate student of yours and now professor at Oklahoma State, Courtney Burr, uh, this idea of how people report on their holiday health activities. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in that context um, and what you discovered? Sure. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit and, and start with social desirability bias has been our focus. Social desirability bias, uh, it's a subconscious effort to make yourself look better when you answer a question. And so what you're really trying to do is you want to be perceived in a socially correct or good way. And so, I mean, all of us want to be seen by other people in a positive light. And so you see this show up in places like if someone asks you, hey, do you work out? Right. And you think about it and you're like, I worked out once. Yes. Yes, I work out. Well, OK, do you really work? Like, is this really what we're talking about? And in that case, you know there's a correct answer. The person who asked you that question, right, is more than likely going to see yes as a more positive answer than no. So this has been long studied uh, in psychology and thinking about the worry of how you are seen by the person who's asked you the question. We've been looking at it as it pertains to food and ag. So you could translate that to if I asked you uh, particularly in front of other people, but if I just asked you, do you care about the welfare of pigs that we're raising for food? You kind of feel like you're supposed to say yes, right? If you really just say a flat no, uh, you well, especially if we're all looking at you, you feel like you're supposed to say yes. And so that sort of gives rise to this idea of social desirability bias related to food and how food is raised, how we actually produce food. Now, we've been studying it uh, related to holiday behaviors 
holidays are really interesting from a consumption standpoint. So a lot of people take the holidays as kind of a freebie, right? So we say all kinds of things. Anytime it's a abnormal event, right? So calories don't count on your birthday. You can eat whatever you want. Uh, and you sit down for a big meal, but it's Thanksgiving, right? It's fine. I'm going to eat four times what I would normally eat, but it's Thanksgiving. So it's different. So we started uh, focused about the holidays, wondering what would you report, right? When I ask you, for example, are you going to drink more alcohol during the holiday season? What do you report back? I can tell you, so the way that we've been looking at measuring social desirability bias, uh, this is ultimately rooted in ego. And so you have an urge to protect your own image, right? As the other person sees it. I ask you, Dr. Foster, do you work out? And you say, yes. And then I ask you, Dr. Foster, do you think the average American works out? And you say, eh. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. So I take those two answers and then I say, huh, I bet Dr. Foster is kind of close to that average American. Uh, because we start to think about how did you answer for the average American? Was that your answer, right? And then was your answer about yourself potentially biased by your desire to be seen in a correct or good light by the other person? And so that's how we are measuring social desirability bias uh, as it pertains to the holidays. It's not a perfect measurement. It is entirely possible and will definitely be true some of the time that you really are better than the average American. But when you think about a sample of a thousand people, 65% of them can't be better than the average. <laughs> right. So it does tell you, it does tell you at least in an aggregate sense, um, what the propensity of um, providing false information is. Interestingly, Considering we've now done it over four samples of people over multiple years and bouncing back and forth between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the propensity to over-report goodness for yourself relative to the average American is incredibly consistent, at least as it relates to those eight holiday statements. Um, different samples, different years, different holidays, incredibly consistent reporting uh, of how much better most of us are than the average person. So the two highest in terms of exhibiting social desirability bias in the way that we've defined it, right? Self-stating yourself being better than the average is you're gonna make a new year's resolution to lose weight and consuming alcohol during the holiday season. And those were both over 62, 63%. Uh, percent of respondents exhibiting by or exhibiting the potential for social desirability bias, then gaining weight during the holidays and gaining more weight during the holidays than any other time of year were both almost 60%. So the sample of people is um, pretty much representative, I guess, of people in the United States across all geographical regions, ages, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so we seek to have samples that are representative of the U.S. population by region of the U.S., age, uh, gender, in, income, uh, reporting the household income level, and level of education. And so I'm referring to four different samples from 2016 through 2020, uh, and each of those were representative within a couple percentage points for all of those factors. So Dr. Widmar... How can understanding social desirability bias 
help us achieve better self-reported data results in uh, several different settings. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, the, the paper that we spoke about, about healthy holiday behaviors, we were trying to test mechanisms to reduce reported social desirability bias, right? So we tried a cheap talk mechanism, which is to inform people that this bias does exist and to see if informing them actually lessens the amount of reported bias. It does help with other types of bias. So cheap talk has been used in many other settings. What we found in the holiday related statements at least is that it really didn't work very well. It reduced the amount of bias in only one statement out of the eight that we studied and it wasn't a resounding success. So it really looks like social desirability bias reporting your own behaviors, at least as it is around the holidays, is very consistent, right? This is really ingrained that you want to tell me that you're going to do better than other people at some of these things, right? Keeping up a, a workout habit over the holidays or being vigilant about weight uh, or consuming alcohol. So the first step here is recognizing that it exists, right? That we have this propensity to overreport. Mitigating it is extremely difficult, but in terms of what do we need to do or how do we use this information, knowing that social desirability bias and reporting is out there can help you think about other mechanisms to help people better report the truth, right? So things like asking you about the average person. So what do you do and what do you think everybody else does, right? If you stop and pause and think about that, how did you form your opinion with, of what everyone else does? more than likely you formed it based on what you yourself do, right? And so that can help a bit in terms of a, use the term loosely, but a little bit of a reality check uh, to kind of think about that. And it can also help in terms of having conversations with like your health practitioners or doctors or others who are trying to get unbiased information to think about how to phrase those questions and how to at least recognize that SDB exists mitigating it is extremely difficult, but recognizing it is step one. So we have other ways of collecting data. Um, one that comes to mind around, you know, things like exercise would be um, these kind of time allocation studies where we might ask somebody to keep a diary of, you know, whenever they exercise um, or even a diary of what they eat. Um, are, are those kind of data also going to be subject to this kind of bias or do you anticipate they might provide more accuracy around some of these measures? So I suspect it depends a little bit on who's asking. So there's a bunch of biases uh, in terms of how you talk to yourself, right? So we lie to ourselves all the time, but that's a different question. Social desirability bias is really about being concerned about how someone else perceives you whether it's the person conducting the survey, other people who are watching you answer, it could be your doctor as you're reporting back how much you really work out versus uh, what they told you to do. So I would think if, it, if you're truly keeping accurate records in a diary setting, uh, we will off, people often recommend that so that you can tell yourself the truth. I think as far as reporting that in a self-reported data to someone else sense, uh, assuming you're turning that over, I, I would hypothesize, although I can't prove that it should improve quality, although typically if it's a sensitive issue, 
then we also start kind of wavering around, are you going to write down the truth and nothing but the truth and turn it over to someone? Or are now you worried about what that someone thinks when they see it, which means we're back to the same problem we started with, which is you don't want this other person to look down on you for whatever you've just shared. So Dr. Widmar, it's a very interesting topic because when I was reading the paper you sent me, there, are, there were several instances I could look back to on, for my own self and say, I maybe subconsciously portrayed myself in a better light than what actually happened. So I think it's, very, it's a very tangible issue and one that we all deal with. So I wanna ask you a two-part question. What are the ways in which you see this affecting students and how does that affect their overall success in the classroom, in the job market or elsewhere? So if we have an outcome that we don't particularly like, right? So you could envision a lot of these conversations, a lot of people questioning you about these things starts out with, right, we're trying to address a concern. So you could certainly see a case where um, you're asking, you know, how much effort did you really put forth on this assignment? Or how much time went into studying for this exam? And it's so obvious what the answer is supposed to be, right? If someone's asking you that point blank, you want to say that you put in the effort and you want to say that you put in the time studying for the exam. Uh, we probably do in those cases feel this social pull to over-report the amount of effort that we put forth. But it's somewhat self-defeating. Because if the person asking you the question is trying to help diagnose what do we do next, right, or how can we better prepare, accurate data would have been much more helpful, uh, as opposed to kind of overstating goodness in terms of what we were preparing. Right now, societally, we are very reliant on self-reported data. And then scientifically, we are very concerned about the quality of all self-reported data right, is what you're putting out there reflective of reality, reflective of what you wish reality was, um, or do you, the other piece that I do wanna make sure we're clear, social desirability bias is not lying. This is not actively trying to mislead the other person. This is an, a subconscious pull to be seen in a positive way, right? This is fundamentally a self-protection mechanism that we all feel as humans to not be negatively judged by someone else. So I think, um, for students as well as for others, the quality of self-reported data is very important. It's being fed into all different kinds of predictive tool. I mean, so if you look at what's going on in society right now, we're feeding self-reported data about your behavior into predictive tools about health outcomes for society, right? So if the data is not correct or not of the quality that we would desire, then the outcomes aren't either. So it's incredibly important for being able to have accurate predictions or to make accurate data-driven decisions. We all wanna think that we're making data-driven decisions about how we spend our time, uh, what we decide to do in terms of nutrition or health. Um, but if the data isn't accurate, then it's a data-driven decision on an inaccurate data set. And I'm not sure we're any better off than if we just said we were gonna do whatever we want. It seems to me that maybe the um, this brings us to the, the somewhat elephant in the room, and that's, you know, we're, we're starting to round the corner with respect to the uh, COVID virus pandemic. We've got vaccines available to us. You're talking to us about these, um, about these socially motivated um, biases in people's reporting of their actions. What about their 
reporting of their future intentions? Yeah, so I think um, social desirability bias is not your only problem <laughs> when it comes to data quality in current situation that is societally, personally, health, right, relevant in all of these areas. Uh, I think we absolutely should be concerned about accuracy of reported data. We've been concerned all along. So going back to early days of pandemic, when we were thinking about contact tracing, and we would start out by saying, oh, so how many people have you interacted with? Oh, very few. Okay. Well, now that we walk through all the people you've interacted with is definitely not very few, right? Um, so there's a difference between our kind of recollection of generalities versus actually walking through data. So that's maybe one component. Certainly there's room in reported data about COVID behaviors or vaccine intentions for social desirability bias. Uh, we know that social desirability bias can often be stronger face-to-face. -face. So if your doctor is standing there staring at you in the eyes, uh, you have one level of uh, intent in terms of what you're reporting and there's some social pressure. It gets a little bit weaker, at least for some people in some topics as you get farther away. So we recently collected data. It was an internet-based survey. So yes, you do know who we are and that we're collecting data and it's possible that you care what we think of you, although you're anonymous. Uh, so in that situation, our goal is to try to remove a little bit of that. We're not trying to judge you for this reported answer. We're trying to get you to tell the truth about whether you plan to move forward with it or not. Um, so social desirability bias, sure. There would also be a whole bucket of other biases and questions and reporting as it comes to pandemic behaviors. Uh, given the degree of social divide and how politicized a lot of behaviors like masking and to some degree vaccine development um, and taking of vaccines has become, um, you need to worry about not just social desirability bias, but um, who's actually willing to provide you data, whether people are giving you protest votes, right, in a sense where people become so entrenched in their opinion that what they're telling you is actually the opposite of what they think you want to hear, right? So it can actually be in protest instead of in favor. And so you have all of these factors coming together as it relates to COVID-related behaviors. Um, and there's ways to mitigate each of those different things, but uh, you cannot ever cure bias. There's always gonna be polls, push and pull, so socially in the data uh, in terms of what people are willing to tell you or not. So we can do our best, but we can't, we can't cure it. Yeah, it seems like when we get into these socially polarized issues, like, um, you know, we were just talking about, you also maybe get kind of uh, what I would call a chameleon effect um, that, you know, I, I may say something in one group to blend in with that group. And if I'm in another group where I know the, the predominant opinion is otherwise I might change my colors, um, so to speak, to blend in again. And, um, so very, very complicated uh, things that you're working on, Nicole. Any parting comments uh, or insights that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, so I think relative to what we just talked about, um, self-reported data is one type of data that we can use to help inform some of these decisions, particularly socially contentious ones. Um, there are other types of data that I think can augment those conversations. So you see things like Google search data. Um, and I know we could have, you could have an entire uh, year long conversation devoted to privacy and what goes into those factors. 
Um, but certainly self-reported is one way in a survey sense. There's lots of other ways to kind of look at where we are societally on some of these topics. And so I do think it's important that you consider those topics um, from data from multiple sources, data from multiple different viewpoints uh, in order to move forward, particularly if they're contentious or polarized. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Widmar. It's been great talking with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. Thank you, uh, everybody. You've been listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. Um, you can uh, visit the department at www.agecon.purdue.edu or follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. Everybody stay safe and hey, go out and get your vaccination when you're due.